Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 125 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brienne. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over at Speak On Podcasts, and his name is Paul Shepard. Paul is a Sydney-based entrepreneur, coach, and creator of a unique system that helps leaders to live life of purpose and meaning through a holistic 360-degree approach that nurtures the mind, body, and soul. After multiple successful years in business, making millions of dollars in his early 20s, he discovered that his life needed to change. Despite all the success, he hadn't been fulfilled. So he went on a journey to discover himself, his true values, and his calling. And he did. Unlike other professional coaches, he doesn't try to fit his clients into an ill-fitting label. His one-of-a-kind assessment approach provides an almost infinite amount of possible unique combinations, always perfectly suited for an individual. Now, during this podcast, Paul and I talk about his system, talk about his experiences, and, and talk about being a little bit more willing to intertwine spirituality in your leadership and personal development journey. So with that, let me go ahead and get out of the way, let the stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Paul Shepard. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Earl. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited about this because uh, you know the the pre work materials that I got sent uh, uh, by our friends over at Speak On Podcast. I, I love some of these topics that uh, you, that we're probably going to hit on here today. I love your background. Um, I love your philosophy on life, man. I think it's a really good philosophy, and I, I really know that my listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation today. So let me just go ahead and start by thanking you very much for being a guest on the show. Thanks, Alan. Looking forward to see how I can serve at the highest level today. So thank you. Well, I tell you what, let's start you off on that path here where I start everybody. Uh, when you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? That's a really good question, Al. Um, intuitively, I feel that out to be, I look at, uh, at leadership as, as either managers or leaders. And from my experience, most people in leadership roles tend to be managers. They're not natural leaders, and they don't typically lead, by example. And that can be a definitive burden for those in that role. There is a sense of responsibility. Um, you know, the, the term extreme ownership is what comes to mind with that. Um, if you're going to lead <clears throat> and command, there is, a, there is a huge amount of responsibility not just for yourself, obviously, but for the people that you are commanding and leading. So from my perspective, um, it's a it's obviously a privilege to be able to command and lead, but the responsibility is how you can step in and serve at the highest level for those people that you are commanding and leading. And I feel that um, somewhere along the line throughout history, we've um, lost that ability to lead effectively and, and somewhere maybe through our education system, there's a lot more management going on than there is leadership, if I can put it that way. So burden of command, um, it's a responsibility, really. And there is uh, many different aspects and angles and ways you can approach that. So, um, yeah, we could unpack that for a long time, but uh, that's probably a, a nice, concise version for you, Elle. 
Yeah, no, and I like that. And I especially like that differentiation between management and, and leadership because I completely agree with you there. And and again, when we talk about, uh, I like how you touched on that piece of education because, uh, you know, and it's interesting here, listeners, you probably figured out by now that Paul has a little bit of an uh, accent and isn't from America, right? Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> so, uh, so it's interesting to hear you say some of these same things, like with your experiences uh, in Australia and kind of singing so much in harmony, because you're right. There's not a lot of, like, when you look at business schools, for the vast majority of what business schools teach, it is management. And that's why, you know, and I'm somebody that's in this space, but that's why uh, the personal development space has so many people in it trying to sell so many products because they're trying to fill that educational gap uh, quite a bit there, right? Yeah, absolutely. There is a, a massive shortage, I believe, of, of true leadership in the world. Um, I'll tell you a bit of a story, actually, all on that. I Going through military training, I was actually put forward to go in as an officer and I actually declined that, and and the recruitment officer, as you go through special forces, was a bit dumbfounded. He said, "Look, Paul, it's pretty hard to get in here. You know, we've, we've got a shortage of officers, and that's you know, you've got the aptitude, you've passed all the tests to get into an officer. Why don't you want that opportunity?" And the short answer was, "I wouldn't respect myself if I was given that. I'm 24, or 25 at the time I was, and I don't have enough life experience to be able to command and lead." especially in a combat zone. And I felt like I needed to earn that so that I could lead from within the ranks as opposed to just leading by rank. So that was my philosophy as a kid. And that stands true today. I think um, it was an interesting concept. I was aware of it back then in my mid-20s. And I see this time and time again. There's a lot of people in leadership roles that seem to be attached to the, the ego or the glory of the the position, but don't necessarily have what it takes in terms of the true leadership. In other words, they're showing up for the wrong reasons. And um, vibrationally, I'm seeing a lot of people coming undone, uh, whether it's the support they get from the people they're leading or from the the missions they're trying to execute, whether that's in a, in a boardroom, in a corporate scenario, or military. They just don't have that glue, if you like. That, that keeps things together the way it needs to and that trust. Yeah, no, and I think that is a very critical point that you just made there. And I hope listeners really picked up on it because, you know, le- leadership and because of all those things that we talked about at the very beginning when Paul answered the question about burden of command and, you know, some of the things that listeners have heard other people here talk about the burden of command and the responsibilities of leadership yeah, if, you, if you're not going into it for the right reason, for that kind of noble purpose, if you will, uh, you know, that is a fast track to burnout and, and stress and anxiety and all those things because you're, you're not in alignment with your, your purpose, right? Absolutely. Purpose is a big part of that, isn't it? All? I yeah. think, um, and people are setting themselves up for failure, which leads to a lack of confidence and erodes one's self-esteem. You know, if you're put in a position of, of incompetence, um, you're not going to feel very good once you get there. And there's going to be other issues that come up and other traumas that come up. So I'm a big believer of the whole, you know, working through the different levels and the different layers of yourself first in order for you to be most effective in whatever it is you're doing. And once you find that purpose, I think once people are aligned and they discover what that purpose is, their natural leadership will come out 
they will be able to lead a lot more effectively once they're in it for the right reasons. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think the thing that we also underestimate, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, these were my experiences in the Marines. Maybe yours were a little bit different, uh, uh, you know, on that side of the ocean there. But the 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 folks that you're trying to lead, they know, right? There's a huge difference between the leader that that is leading because, they care. They want to make sure that people are taken care of. They want to make sure uh, that folks in in military uh, in, in military terms make sure that folks come home. But in the corporate world, you know, make sure that people don't get laid off. They want to make sure that people have health care. They want to make sure of all these things that take care of their people versus the leader who wants that next step in rank or wants that corner office. The followers know, right? Absolutely. There's, a, there's an intuition, right? a level of trust intuitively people can just sense, even if they can't put uh, put some facts behind it, they can just sense the behavior. And that's where they lose the the confidence or they lose that trust in their subordinates. So, um, you know, I think most people have the right intentions at the core. But I think when people get in amongst those positions, they realize that, my gosh, there's actually a lot more of this than what I expected. And I see a lot of people, having worked in corporate and military, I see a lot of people that are way outside their comfort zone. And you know what? I encourage those people who are struggling that are doing it for the right reasons because they're humble enough to to take the feedback on board. And then there's a challenge with, especially in military, around vulnerability. You know, if you are in command and you have any level of vulnerability, then there tends to be a lack of respect, especially amongst males. But... I've also learned that some of the best leaders that I've come across, especially in the military when I first joined, in fact, the unit I joined, the two gentlemen in there that were the leaders, and they went on and left shortly after I joined, I had so much respect for them because they would put their hand on up and say, hey, you know what, I actually don't know the answer to that, but let me get back to you. And they had no qualms about saying that. But everything else, they were confident with, and they were confident about being honest that they didn't know something. And um, that builds respect and trust. And I find that uh, not everyone has that capability to to be vulnerable because there's this fear that they're going to be judged or felt like they're not good enough. So that's something I've, I've observed, I'm sure, yourself and your listeners have observed too well, is this whole concept of vulnerability, and especially amongst males, where it's it's considered not okay in terms of how we've been brought up. So it's something I've definitely uh, observed, but... Yeah, I was part of that problem too. There's not a chance in hell I'd show any vulnerability when I was going through um, those days of my life. But now it's a it's a different ball game because that builds the trust and and the connection. Yeah, no, again, a hundred percent agree, a hundred percent. We've talked about it here a few times, you know. But that's the thing, right? It's probably one of the biggest misconceptions with being in a leadership position is that you have to be perfect. You have to know every single answer, and and I think the flip side is is as you mentioned, we we do that. Because we don't want to be seen as weak. We don't want to be seen as incompetent. But people know that not everybody, uh, nobody has all of the answers. Nobody is perfect. Nobody never makes mistakes. And by putting on that facade, we actually kind of undermine our own credibility because people know that we're kind of faking the funk on something. They just don't know what it is. So we undermine ourselves anyway, more so than what we would do, like you just said, of saying, hey, you know, I don't know the answer. Let's find out together. Couldn't have said better myself, well. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Um, now, you know, kind of uh, 
taken here to the the next step here. You talked about kind of an opportunity in the military, but uh, you know, if I read the the pre workup material here, you you spent a pretty good chunk of change on various personal development programs through your life, right? Correct. Yeah, that was um, my way of trying to find myself. I always felt there was a that I had more potential, and not having that support growing up as a kid from from family and whatnot. And not having the clarity or the mentors around me to guide me, I was I was hungry, hungry for to unlock the maximum amount that was within me. And um, you know, I think I spent close to half a million dollars over twenty five years, and I continue to spend money on that, including traveling to all parts of the world. I typically I'd watch a documentary and contact one of the people in those documentaries, go and see them, spend some time with them, go through the programs, get some personal coaching, and that was from. All types of things from the quantum stuff through to spiritual stuff, through to healing, through to you name it, just trying to connect the dots on, on how this world works and why we're here, where we come from, and just trying to find my flow. You know, I felt out of place in corporate. I felt like I was out of place in military. I felt like I was out of place in the first few businesses I had. I felt like a phony. I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like some of the, the successes I had I didn't deserve because it was too easy. I felt like... Who the heck am I? So it was, it's been this tireless journey to try and figure out who the heck am I and spending a fortune essentially on my spare change trying to figure that out. And I think once you hit 40, um, I've heard through other circles that 40 is the real age of maturity in terms of becoming an adult. And you've obviously got some life experience up your sleeve and things start to sink in and some of the dots start to connect. So, you know, I've, I got to 30, Earl, and I felt like, you know, I'm starting from scratch again. You know, I just got out of the military. I'd lost um, a couple of businesses. Financially, I was starting from scratch. And it was this mad rush to try and catch up because friends and colleagues around me were, you know, they had a few properties. They were getting married. They're having kids. And here's this single Paul that um, is starting a new career with no money, trying to figure out what's next. So that put a lot of pressure on me. But then it wasn't until I got to 40 and all through my 30s, I was feeling like I was you know, behind the eight ball. But I get to 40 and all of a sudden I've got so much more clarity. And instead of focusing on the personal development, it was then focusing inwards to start to figure out, okay, rather than following someone else's model of success and trying to be like Mike, so to speak, it was about who the heck is Paul? You know, What am I here for? And that's when I started to discover what my talents and gifts were and how I could apply those for and to be of service and contribution, but also be in flow, working with my design genetically and achieving fulfillment and more financial success than what I've had before. So that to me was the biggest burden lifted off my shoulders, going through that process and recognizing that, okay, that personal development doesn't necessarily hold the answer. It's that self-reflection and discovering one's self first because um, everyone's got a different view on what helped them succeed and what helped Bob succeed doesn't necessarily help Sally succeed. So we've all got a different blueprint, so to speak. And once you discover what that is, you can be more in flow with being yourself and essentially give yourself permission to be yourself. And once you've done that, it, you look at the world through a different lens and now you're trying to do what you're designed to do as opposed to trying to fit in or feel like you have to achieve some goal that's been placed upon you through society or education that it doesn't belong. And I know there's a lot of people out there that feel that way. Um, most people I've worked with 
feel like there's something missing. They can't put their finger on it. They can't articulate necessarily because these are some of the things that we are not taught. You know, the education system doesn't necessarily give us that framework. Um, you know, it's go to school, get a job, university, married, kids, whatever it is, <clears throat> um, build your wealth, buy some properties, yada, yada, yada. So but there's actually much more to it than that. And I believe we're all here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spiritual beings having, human, having a human experience and there is absolutely a purpose to all of that for every single person here. So that's been the essence of 25 years and, and more importantly the last four years has been that primary focus around all right let's look at ourselves from a, a spiritual perspective going inwards as opposed to trying to look at the world as i need to fix myself or i need to learn this particular skill or whatever it is it's it's been about how do i uncover myself um to the fullest yeah, no, I mean, I love that. That, that was a lot there. And, and I, I appreciate, you know, you, you sharing all that there because there's a lot of good points that you made there. And, and, you know, I'll kind of start at sort of the beginning there because I, I like your piece about, uh, you know, getting to know yourself, right? I mean, you know, one of the things that, that uh, I do here at the leadership phalanx is I use some of the military training that I got. And, uh, you know, use these, we had these things we called the uh, 11 principles. I, I teach them as shields for that phalanx iconography. So it kind of sticks, but, you know, I think people underestimate how adaptive, um, and again, I'm not exactly sure what your experiences were with it, but talking about uh, us Marines, you know, how adaptive the leadership is because of what you just said, uh, you know, one of those uh, shields, uh, that I teach is, uh, introspection and improvement and and in the marines we called it know yourself and seek self-improvement and it was really what you were just saying there paul is is take the time to get to know yourself and who you really are and then everything else is built around being able to adapt your leadership style not only for who you are but who the people you are leading are and i think this is one of the things that i've ran into and you know correct me if i'm wrong cuz uh, it sounds like you've been through quite a few more uh, programs than i have but i think this is one thing where a lot of leadership development and personal development programs kind of fall short is they try to to push or try to sell almost like a a cookie cutter or or a cookbook recipe type of uh product where if you do a and b your results going to be c and it just doesn't work every time that way. People are too complicated. You're too complicated. The situation you're in at the moment's too complicated. What that person's going through could be completely different. And so cookie cutter just doesn't work in personal development, right? Yeah, I totally agree, Earl. And I like the way you put that too. You know, know yourself and seek improvement. It's like the Japanese principle Kaizen of perfection, right? It's it's that constant improvement. But um, in terms of, yeah, you know, I look at all these personality testing, right? And I've been through dozens of them um, throughout my career and every time I do it it's different you know every time I do a test it could be the same thing disc right different I get a different response I could do Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or Gallup or I could do um, any one of them and as I approach that question it's just like well which context do I use to answer this question because there's multi different aspects of myself there's different scenarios there's you know I could be I could do something one way with one person, but differently with another person. Yeah, one manager that I work with could be different to the next manager versus the next employee. So it's always going to be different, and that's where I realised that that whole system 
is just a way that we can try and categorize people and try and understand something that can't be understood with that level of thinking because we are so complex. And that's what has pushed me you know, harder and further to try and figure out, all right, there's this whole approach to knowing oneself seems to be very linear, very one-dimensional, and very limited. And it's it's different every single time. And it's painful trying to answer them because you know, if you've gone through a, some of these tests, there's it could be 360, 600, 700, 800 questions you've been answering multiple choice, and it's mind-numbing. Um, and they're obviously trying to trip you up by asking you the same question in a different way, you know, 200 questions later. So they, they think that you've forgotten it. But it's very one-dimensional, and that's not who we are. We are three, four, five-dimensional, and that's what I've tried to find in my travels is, is, is a more complete, uh, comprehensive way of looking at the human experience that allows us to understand ourselves on a much, much deeper level that doesn't give us a label. And I think it's where the labels come in. These labels have been given to us because it allows us cognitively through our rational mind to try and understand something that can't be understood through that lens alone. So that's what led me into to other systems and other technology as a way to look at this. And from, from my experience, it's the esoteric stuff. And a lot of the spiritual stuff, it's given me those insights that psychology alone doesn't even come close to from my experience. Yeah, no, I'll agree a hundred percent, especially those, uh, those, those profile assessment types, you know, like I love Myers-Briggs, I love DISC, they're, they're great, but you know, I run into too many people who treat them like a Bible, right? They, they treat them like a, uh, an owner's manual for themselves and their employees and they're not, they're, they're really meant to be conversation starters. Cause you know, you kind of mentioned psychology there. That's, that's one thing that I have a hard time getting most people to to get. And hopefully listeners, if you're listening here to what, what Paul just said, you know, here's the thing about those tests, right? Is they, again, they're good conversation starters, but I can, I can come in, somebody who knows what they're doing can come in and really kind of, dictate what your answers are going to be based on how I prime and frame you uh, and the questions going into the test. You know, if I sit there and I tell you a bunch of stories about that, you know, have negative connotations and put you in a sour mood, well, all of a sudden you're going to take the test. You're going to find out that you're a little bit more, uh, uh, you're a little bit more of an introvert than you were before because you don't feel like being outgoing. And we don't take into account when we're taking those tests, as Paul mentioned, kind of our frame of mind when we're taking the test or how we're thinking about each of those questions because of the way they're worded. So I guess, you know, my point with that there is kind of building off what Paul said is they're great. They're fun exercises. They're good team building exercises, but they're not the end all be all solution that people treat them like they are. And I think that's a very important lesson, right? Yeah, it's such a good point, Earl. I love, I love how you put that. It's that frame of mind. And that just brings me up to, I remember going through boot camp training and, um, they talked about the propaganda, especially the Vietnam War that, um, US troops in particular went through to hate the, the Vietnamese, right? And I remember seeing some of the videos that were shown to US troops, some of the stories that were told. And, you know, now that I've gone back in history and looked at how that war really started, it was the complete opposite. That was started by the US for gain of certain <clears throat> financial interests and, and control. 
Um, and anyone who does that research can obviously validate that. I'm not sort of speaking out of line here. Uh, it's fact. Um, but that whole war was started out of a false flag, right? So, and think about the the manipulation that was used to get young men and women to go and put their lives on the line and essentially sacrifice themselves for someone else's gain. And and this is the, the thing I started to see through my early days of training and then recognizing when I was uh, going through other parts of training and I thought, mm, okay, I started to reflect on that as well. So the frame of mind that they present to us allows us to see the world through a certain lens and obviously our behavior changes accordingly. So I'm glad you raised that point, Earl. It's so powerful for people to recognize that and you know, even in the boardroom, um, how we show up and what's going on, the challenges we're faced with as opposed to, you know, there is a, there's your truth, there's my truth, and there's an actual truth of what's going on. You know, is it raining outside? Yes or no, that's, a, that's an actual truth um, versus your perception and my perception. So um, it's always, for me, it's about trying to get back to that objective reality as to what's going on and taking the, the emotion, the subjectivity out of things so we can actually look at things factually. Uh, and most leaders will obviously know that, especially in a military context. You know, we, to make decisions emotionally is a cardinal sin. It's, um, it's dangerous for everyone. So, yeah, I'm glad you raised that up. Yeah, no, I, I, that, and it is, you know, and, and I, I'm glad that you kind of got us there because uh, you, you, on your journey, if I'm getting this story right, uh, as you were going through some of these courses, uh, you were introduced to a concept uh, of genetics code. So, what what is this genetics code, and how how why is it important to you and your your leadership development? Yeah, good point. Thanks, thanks for asking. I'll, um, so, as I mentioned before, I touched on the psychology piece alone. It, it's a one dimensional view. Yet, as leaders, a lot of a lot of organizations use that as the Bible. And that's, <clears throat> that's a fundamental flaw in the system, essentially how we're trying to navigate this complex world and, and make uh, effective decisions. Um, genetics code, essentially, and this, this, it's been a journey of breadcrumbs going from one course to the next to the next, but um, he essentially did a lot of work with Joe Dispenza, looking at the quantum realm and some of the science he's pulled out. This is, this is stuff that's factual now. Then going back to esoteric stuff and spiritual stuff, and essentially what I came across was something called human design. Uh, in particular, BG5, which is a, a career and business aspect of human design. And for those that don't know, human design is essentially four different types of astrology. So you've got the Western astrology, the Chinese I Ching, uh, the Brahman chakra system, and the Kabbalah tree of life, synthesized with quantum physics. And now what you've got is a really, really rich, comprehensive system. Just think of a Venn diagram with four circles or five circles giving you uh, a lens into, you know, five different dimensions of who you are. So that's something I discovered three years, years ago on a documentary, called up the guy who was, who was hosting that documentary and just said, look, do it. <laughs> I want to know how, how, what, what I look like because he was going through uh, some presidents as an example. And I tell you, well, in, in three hours, I knew more about myself than I'd learned in 25 years and half a million bucks. And it just blew me away. The level of detail and things that I'd never heard articulated about myself before were off the charts. And that's instantly I thought, holy moly, this is, this is, this is what I've been looking for, is a more comprehensive view from an esoteric perspective, from an ancient perspective, from a 
quantum perspective, from a from a higher level of mind perspective as to who I am. And you know, the key thing with that was that I was told it's it's an experiment. Don't just take my word for it. This guy told me, go out and experiment. Go and test the assumptions. I've just given you some insights into yourself, Paul, that are essentially the gut should be your your blueprint for life and your guiding principles. But don't believe a word I say. Actually go out there and test this now. You know, one of those things was my decision making strategy. Right? So as leaders we we use our rational mind to make decisions. But in actual fact, that is a such a limiting aspect of decision making for ourselves that nine times out of ten we make the wrong decisions. I know I certainly have. Um, I've all my failures and struggles in life because I've been using my mind to make decisions as opposed to using my internal compass, my decision-making strategy, call it your intuition, call it your sixth sense. And to most people out there, that might sound a bit far out there. It might sound too wishy-washy or too gray, but there is absolutely a framework as to how it operates. And that's what I've been focused on is, is, is how do I break that down for people like you and I, Earl, and your listeners that are in leadership roles, in business, in military, that are in a, in a practical sense. How do we take the analytical mind out of that and give them a framework that they can understand to make much, much, much more empowered decisions, even if they can't logically comprehend why they're getting that um, that decision-making process come up. But there is absolutely a way to to break that down and then go and test that. And once you test that, that builds trust. You build trust in yourself. And once you've got that trust in yourself, yeah, you know, the some of the best leaders out there are the, the old experienced ones because they've learned to build that trust in themselves and they listen to their gut. They listen to, they listen to their intuition and essentially there is a there is a process and we're all diff- different slightly. Um, so that's just one example of giving people the compass to themselves so they no longer need to ask other people for advice. They can essentially listen to their body to make those key decisions and that, that to me has been a total game changer because it's eliminated all the doubt that we all have when we're trying to make big decisions. Yeah. And again, I like that because I like that kind of tie between spirituality and science because, you know, I think that's one of the big problems right now with, with modern societies and cultures is, uh, you know, when you look back through history, science and spirituality were pretty much hand in hand and now we we've really kind of gotten to this mindset where we have to embrace one or the other. They they don't really play so well together in a lot of societies, and especially in a lot of corporate cultures and things like that. But you know, there's a lot of value from both of those, as history has shown us. And so, like, what is a I don't know? Can you give us like a quick like kind of primer on on somebody who's interested in this? Like, how can they like where would they start? With uh, with discovering themselves or just the whole frameworks and the approach, you mean? Yeah, this this genetics code kind of piece. Like, if if like, what is a is there a good resource out there for them? Like, you mentioned a documentary, or is there like a little tidbit that you can share with us here to kind of get started, kind of decoding and finding this genetics code that they have? Yeah, sure. Look, I um, first of all, what what led me here? First of all, uh, Earl is the fact that. I had to look at other options. You know, what was being taught in education and personal development was was very limiting. And I'd seen some things as a kid um, prior to joining the military, actually, that I couldn't explain. 
Uh, this is with some people that I was doing some bodyguarding with. And um, science can't explain it. Let's just put it that way. Uh, there were some things that happened, some events that happened. Um, one of these guys was a healer, and I, I could not explain it, but I, I could see the outcome. Now, I didn't pursue that for many years because it was too far out there. It was, it was outside the, the level of comprehension in my mind at the time. But I came back to it years later. And this is where this whole breadcrumbing thing in terms of, you know, um, Little Red Riding Hood in the forest leaves the breadcrumbs so she can get back to where she started. Um, and for me, it's about just going from one topic to the next and trying to connect all the dots. So, yeah, there was an interesting book that I read called Real Magic by Dean Radin, who's a PhD. So he gives you a, a PhD's perspective on magic across all cultures and religions and, and whatnot. And he goes through the history and it's real. It's absolutely real despite what people say. It just it sounds mystical because the, the word magic is actually used, but we can break that down into science, which is what he's done. So that was one stepping stone. But essentially what I do, and, and people are welcome to, to, to join my Facebook page or my Facebook group, sorry, it's called Soul Purpose Mastery. And every week, people can actually submit their details, and I do a free hour consult to to anyone who wants to apply for that, and um, that gives them the, I guess, the first step to to starting to understand themselves. So I'm I'm actually building some software at the moment, so we can actually make this more readily available for people. Um, but essentially, yeah, if they want to join a Facebook group, they can come and get some insights there, um, and I just really, really challenge people to challenge their own belief systems. That's been my constant thing my whole life is, you know what, I people say, what are your beliefs, Paul? And I say, well, my belief now is that I need to constantly change my beliefs as new information comes to mind. Yeah. So that's that's something that's constant with me now is if I've got a fixed belief system, I'm limiting myself on everything. And if I can get new evidence to prove something different to what I've currently learned, then um, I'm more fluid and I'm going to constantly evolve and keep learning. So some of these concepts are a little bit out there for most, I'll have to admit, and, and for me they were as well. But that's where the answers come. You know, you can't solve some of the world's biggest problems with the same level of mind that got us there. We need to look through a different lens and start to be more open to different possibilities as opposed to being judgmental and, and close-minded. So... Um, yeah, that's, that's where I would start a Facebook group. I'm showing a lot of content and intel and um, people are welcome to come and join and join the conversation and hopefully get some free time with me so I can actually uncover some of this. Um, there are some webinars I'll be putting up on my website shortly. So paulbshepherd.com. That's Paul B for Bravo Shepherd. And um, yeah, there's webinars. We'll have some FAQs and just go through start to finish of what we cover off, which is infinitely powerful. No, that that is good stuff, and I'll have the the links to that uh, uh, that group in the show notes. Um, you know, but there's one thing that you said there that I really love, especially about the beliefs and being open. So, you know, I've talked about this a little bit on on the show here in the past, but I, I grew up in in the South in the U.S. I grew up in uh, Northeast Tennessee, and you know, I was raised 100. percent We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evenings every week. Uh, Southern Baptist, Hellfire and Brimstone, Book of Revelations was like everything to us, right? And then I joined the Marines and I started traveling and then uh, I got to see, 
I got to spend a year in Okinawa, Japan, and I got to witness and experience some of that culture. And I got to hear people there talk about, you know, kind of their belief systems. And, you know, one of the things that really kind of rang out to me was they're telling me about their gods. They're telling me about their belief system. They're telling me about their culture with every bit of the same conviction as that Southern Baptist preacher did. You know, and then I, I move on in my career as I, I leave the military service and uh, I start doing other things. And I, I, I get the opportunity to go and interact with a lot of, uh, you know, native and indigenous peoples. Uh, the Yupiks in Alaska, uh, the Zunis in the Navajo in, in New Mexico and Arizona. And I got to listen to, to some of their folks, some of their, their shamans and, and uh, elders you know, say the same thing, talk about their culture, talk about their gods, talk about their belief system. And again, it's the same exact level of conviction and, a, and belief that I saw my whole life. And I'm sitting there thinking like, there's got to be something to this, right? Because you, you can't sit there and just say, well, this one is the one just because somebody believes it. When you see, well, you have five or six different cultures here that, that I've experienced and they all believe their thing with the same level of conviction. So how are we going to sit back and tell them that their experience is wrong? And I think if people get exposed to these different cultures and really hear what's going on and what has happened historically around the world, you know, what, what you're talking about here, Paul, it, it sh- if you've had those experiences, it shouldn't be that shocking because, yeah, there, there's a lot of different belief systems. There's a, do- a lot of different ideologies that most people just never hear of. And it sounds to me like what you're talking about here is, is, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, I think it was four or five there, but you know, what your experience is with just a few of these and the impact it's had, you know, imagine, imagine what all these cultures could bring if we were able to bring everybody together. Right. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I, you know, I've heard somewhere on the line years ago that there was 35,000 different religions approximately on the planet today. Yeah, you know, and they all think every one of them believes that they're right. And the answer, yeah. I mean, how do you answer that question? Who's right? You know, and part of my curiosity is is not to judge, but to say, right, well, there's thirty five thousand different groups out there that believe that their story is correct. But when you start to delve into them, you start to see commonalities, and you can start to pull out common truths or common. Uh, there's a common belief within a lot of these different uh, belief systems. And then that's kind of led me to, to look one step further, go a layer above. And I think of life that's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, we, we come into this world and we've got one piece of the puzzle. You know, we, might, we might go and study one particular career type and then we've got another piece of the puzzle. And sometimes, um, or most of the time, that's, that's a limiting set of uh, beliefs and a limiting view or a limiting perspective. And so we never truly see what's really going on. And um, I think the more pieces of the puzzle you get by transcending cultures and different careers and talking to different people, the more you start to paint the picture as to what's really going on and how things really work. And that's been my guiding force is to figure out the absolute truth, not just my truth, but what's the absolute truth here? How do things really work? Because some of the problems we face on this planet today just don't make any sense. Some of the technology we've got available that we're not allowed to get access to some of the solutions that I've seen and heard about um, could solve these problems instantly. But that's not the case. It's not happening. So I asked myself the question, why? You know, I've, I've been involved in running charities and I put a lot of work in, into those voluntarily. 
And then after two years of, of just flogging myself to death, it's like, well, what am I doing? This hasn't solved the problem. In fact, this has made the problem worse because now there's an expectation that people are going to have it next year. So that made me take a step back and, you know, I look at certain ways of <clears throat> industries where we're looking at, you know, symptoms of a particular problem and we're, we're so focused on the symptoms, but we never get to the root cause. And I think most people out there in business will, will look at that and say, all right, if, if you've got optics on your business and you understand your financials, you're trying to find what the root cause is as to you know, why your business isn't growing or why you're not profitable. And I think we need to have that same approach to life is let's start looking at root causes. Let's start challenging every single belief. Let's start challenging what people tell us, not just blindly follow. You know, I think um, this whole concept of just having blind faith in something is is ridiculous. You know, yeah. I think let's start asking questions. And if things are legitimate, the answers will come either from out, from within or from external sources somewhere. And to me, it's it, it doesn't make any sense to just believe something, you know, without seeing some sort of evidence or at least exploring things on a different level. So that's I think that's how we got to this situation in the first place. We've fallen asleep at the wheel and we've just believed what we've been told. And the more we start to explore and step outside that tiny circle of comfort zone that we're in, the more we start to see other pieces of the puzzle and we start to connect the dots and eventually we start to find the solutions and the solutions are super exciting. And... Um, that's been my focus, and I just encourage more people to to be open to that. Uh, and that's tough. That's really hard when you know you've been. We've all been indoctrinated on some level, and it's really hard to uh, to acknowledge that and allow that to be because essentially our whole world can come crumbling down. And that's happened to me many times. So now I'm I'm just I just go with the flow. It's just like right, okay. Let's not get attached to belief systems and let's be open to new possibilities, even if that means I have to let go of the old and something bigger and better awaits. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good point you raise, Al. Yeah, no, and, and I love what you were saying there too because, you know, some of the listeners may be like, okay, well, what does this have to do with my business? This all sounds great. But, you know, I mean, let's think about this for a second. Like We've been talking about this kind of from the personal standpoint. And and so, you know, Paul's done a great job of explaining that. And, and I agree 100%. I'm, I'm on board with you. You know, but here's the other thing, right? If you're not open to those other cultures, those other belief systems, you're setting yourself up for failure in your business because we are probably the most international the world has ever been with the ease of, of not just transportation, but the ease of moving from one country to another. You know, we talk a lot about immigration, but let's, you know, be honest, immigration is it is. It could be a lot better, but it's easier now than it's ever been to move from one country to another and set up a career. Uh, but let's also look at what's happened over the last year and a half with everything going virtual and having that connectivity, right? So you've got all these people from all these cultures and all these belief systems that are working in your organization right now. And the better you can understand those and the better you can be in tune with those, yes, you're going to do yourself a great deal of, of service uh, for your personal development, but now you're going to be able to better lead those people because you actually can understand them and who they are. And when somebody comes to you and starts talking to you about their belief system, you're not going to be like Paul just said, you're not going to be closed minded. You're going to be able to sit there and listen and, and, and people respect that. And you're going to build more trust 
You're going to build more employee engagement. You're going to build all of these things that organizations want just by being open-minded and being willing to entertain the idea that, as I love the way you put that, that it's not necessarily one truth, but what is the universal truth? So I love what you just said, and I think it's extremely valuable. And I really hope listeners, uh, you know, kind of picked up on that because, man, that, that, is, that is some powerful stuff you're sharing there, Paul. Thank you for that. Yeah, cool, Will. Um, I'll share some examples, right, of, of, of how this translates into business, right? And look, change management is a, is a real challenge because what are we changing? Essentially, we're changing belief systems, you know, and that's, that's something I didn't really get back in my you know, late twenties and early thirties. Um, you know, I've been in, in banking and finance and I'd come into an organization and say, right, we could transform the way this business is done. And I'll just give you a really, really simple example of, of how crazy this sounds, right? You know, a particular banking institution I was working in, they were the seventh largest company in the world at the time, but I was working in one of the divisions here in Australia and, you know, everyone had a desktop printer. Didn't make any sense. You know, no one would get up. No one would socialize. They had a cultural problem. But IT was spending like 22, 23% of their time fixing people's desktop printers. Cost was astronomical. And I said, look, guys, why don't we just go and put in, you know, multifunction devices into the business? You know, let's scan, copy, print, fax, you name it. We can do the whole thing from one device. And we've got two per floor. And yeah, people have got to get up off their chairs and go and see these things and we'll get it serviced. We'll get it managed, managed service by an external company. And these things can do color and a whole lot. Um, so that was the, the solution I'd presented. Now you can imagine the pushback and IT security and everyone's saying, no, we can't do that. It's, 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 it's a security breach and we can't connect a banking system up to a internet. And I said, well, go and get an, an, uh, an ADSL or a fiber connection that's separate. Like simple, done. Uh, we can't do that. I said, well, show me, prove it to me. Show me where in the legislation or the, the, the anything in the company policy where we can't do that. I said, federal police do that. Military does that. Every other bank in the world does that. Why can't we have scanners in the building? So that was just a really, really simple solution to a big problem that was costing the business a fortune in terms of IT's time. Therefore, they weren't getting onto more critical tasks that was hamstringing the business. And you can put these multifunctions in now all of a sudden, and I'll tell you, we, we did this trial. It took me nine months to get this trial over the line. But guess what? People loved it. They did not want to lose that device. And they were happy to give up their desktop printers because now they could print 10 times faster. They could print color. They could print double-sided. They could scan things. I'm talking about a bank that had customer records uh, stored on a floor because they hadn't actually got digital copies of them. So you can imagine the problems with that where you've got one person in, in, in the product team or a person in client services or you know, one person wants to access that file record. They've got to go down and hunt for it on a floor, which they're paying a million dollars a year in rent for. And that could be gone for a week or two or three weeks. No one had signed it out. No one knew where it was. And that customer record could got lost, which, had, which was the case in some examples. And only one person could access it at a time. So, you know, really crazy problem they had and a huge cost to the business. But by putting multifunctions in and getting all of that floor scanned and digitized in online secure storage um, and referenced with optical character recognition allowed everyone in the business at the same time potentially to access that data. But more importantly, now they could start scanning details into an online system. Now, 
people were gathering around the photocopier again and having conversations. And especially uh, in, in, in the finance department, they had a lot of issues with culture. You know, people were just stuck at their desks all day on spreadsheets because every system they were using was DOS-based. Um, so just just to make it translatable into the real world, you know, it's something so, so, so simple that took me nine months of challenging belief systems and trying to bring up evidence around company policies as well as legislation and all this kind of stuff to convince people to try something different. And when they tried it, it blew them away and they, and they, couldn't, they couldn't go back. Now, to try and test this assumption, I ended up moving one of these devices away from one of the first test groups that were most resistant to the change in the first place. I actually moved it to a different department. And you can imagine the uproar. They went ballistic. I was the enemy and I was all this because I'd taken away something that had transformed their lives so dramatically. And so it's just interesting how how closed people were to something that was designed to help them, but they couldn't see it because they're so caught up in the job. So yeah, that's just an example of, of how I can bring this home into something more relatable to your everyday life in a business context. Um, so yeah, challenge your beliefs, guys. Just just be open to possibilities and don't just accept the status quo. I think we should all be doing that in our personal lives, in our business lives, in our leadership, in everything we do in terms of how we're going to go about our life. So I hope that, I hope that helps, guys. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, that is a great example. And again, it goes back to something we mentioned early on, the whole concept of Kaizen, the continuing improvement. And, and uh, you know, depending on which translation you look at, it's either – uh, continuous improvement or improvement for good. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing I love about this, right? Is you, you're right. And, and I love how you put that, uh, change is challenging belief systems because I think that's a, a piece where a lot of change initiatives fail is we don't understand that. We don't really get that. Like essentially when you're, when you say you want to change something, what most people hear is the way I've been doing it isn't good enough. And, and, and that really strikes a chord with people when you tell them unintentionally that what I've been doing isn't good enough. They get defensive. They dig in. They say no. But, you know, like, like Paul said, once you get them out there, they, they love it. And, and you, you've changed that belief system. So I think that is an outstanding example. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Paul, man, I'm looking at the clock here. I cannot believe we've been chatting this long. We were already uh, coming up on 50 minutes, and I don't think we've even really scratched the surface there, brother. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate uh, it all. Yeah. It, well, totally. It's, yeah, no, it's been great, man. And, and is there anything, before we work to close out here, is there anything that we haven't really had a chance to cover that you, you really want to leave listeners with? Yeah, I, I think um, something that has struck a call with me is um, heart-centered leadership. You know, I'm sure someone's brought this up on one of your previous shows, well, and if not yourself, but I think we need to get back to heart heart centered leadership. You know, it's, it's stop leading with the head and start leading with the heart. You know, if we can uncover our design, knowing who we truly are, and we're confident in ourselves, and we've got full permission to be ourselves, and we're driving forward with our strengths and not trying to focus on our weaknesses and, and building those up, that's not what we're designed for. Yeah, but if we focus on on our design and what our strengths are and we lead from the heart, we're going to make a massive impact in the world. And I really put that call out to every leader on the planet to to step up and lead from the heart because that's how we're going to solve some of these problems. 
you know, with a with an open mind to challenging every single belief and leading with an open heart, I think they're two key concepts that I would challenge everyone with to look at how they can do things better, achieve better outcomes, be more fulfilled, achieve more success, make their staff happier, increase the profits, you name it. There's there's no limitations. So that's that would be my my, my final closing comments, Earl, and uh, I hope that's of value to to the uh, to your listeners. Well, if it's not, I need new listeners because that was pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, so listeners again, yeah. I mean, take that challenge. Do your best to to put these things that Paul's been talking about uh, into practice. And uh, you know, again, I'll have the links to his uh, Facebook group there. But you know, I highly encourage you to to you know give that uh, you know give that a join and and see uh, see how this uh, concept of genetics codes and things like that really apply and help you uh, help you improve your personal development, help you improve your leadership skills, help you improve your organizational cultures. Um, but on that note, like other than the Facebook group, if people are convinced and they want to give this a try uh, and they want to reach out to you, uh, what are what are some ways that they can reach out to Paul? Yeah, just my website, Earl. It's uh, paulb.bravoshepherd.com uh, and I'm sure you'll put that in the notes. There's plenty of links on my site, and um, look, I'm all about conversation. Um, you, people can book in a 30-minute conversation with me, no charge. And um, yeah, I'm all about how can we, how can I help? How can I be of service? Because I have a couple of businesses, and, and this to me is a passion project. So this is something that I really want to share my 25 years of learning and help others not have to spend 25 years to come to some tangible, uh, productive uh, outputs that are going to help solve root cause problems as opposed to symptoms. So, um, so just my website. Thanks guys. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, again, Paul, thanks for being with us. Uh, really appreciate the time you spent with us so far. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, uh, uh, getting on the Facebook uh, group there myself and, and, uh, kind of taking some of this journey with you and seeing where it goes. So, uh, you know, thank you for everything you're doing. Thanks, Ella. And thanks to your listeners too. Appreciate it. Yeah. And listeners, thank you for me as well. Uh, you know how to reach out to me, burden.command at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, hit me up there. Uh, make sure you take advantage of these uh, offers that, that Paul has shared, these resources that he has shared. Uh, keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so great guests like Paul can have their messages spread further and reach more people and make a bigger impact. I mean, I think you've heard it here. He... Paul genuinely wants to make an impact on the world, and that's how you can help him do it, is helping uh, him get more exposure through this show. Uh, so thank you for that. And I really appreciate your time and spending this time with us whenever you're listening to this podcast. And I really look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Trick